Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Star Wars 7x7 episode 2913. The novel Shadow of the Sith by Adam Christopher comes out in just a few short days and I am thrilled to bring you the first of a two-part interview with Adam Christopher. We will talk about how the project came about and so much more. Punch it! Hey Rebel Rouser, I'm Alan Voivod and this is Star Wars 7x7, your daily dose of Star Wars joy. And thank you so much for joining me for it. So Adam Christopher has written other Star Wars stories before, but this is his first novel set in the galaxy far, far away. It is Shadow of the Sith, which takes place in between the events of the original trilogy and the sequel trilogy and tells the story of Luke and Lando's search for Ochi of Bastoon and Rey's parents and so many other amazing things. I'm not going to get into spoiler territory because the novel hasn't come out yet. It comes out on Tuesday. But there is a heck of a lot that we can still talk about without spoiling anything, and that's what we're going to do in this two-part interview. So today, we're going to start off by talking about how he found out that he was going to get to do this project. We're going to talk about writing Lando in a particularly difficult phase of his life and so much more. So without further ado, let's get into the first half of my conversation with Adam Christopher, author of Shadow of the Sith. Adam Christopher, welcome to Star Wars 7x7. How are you today? Hi, good, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Oh, I'm so glad to be able to talk with you, and especially in a quieter environment. We got to meet briefly at Star Wars Celebration with that <laughs> one booth that was right nearby the Penguin Random House booth with the incredible thumping music oh, the going DJ. on. Yeah, that was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it was. Oh, my goodness. But uh, we get a lot quieter conversation here, which is awesome, but hopefully no less exciting. And <laughs> we're going to talk about Shadow of the Sith, which is your first novel to be published about the galaxy far, far away. So congratulations on that. Thank you very much. And uh, can you tell our listeners how the project came about? Yeah, I mean, it's going to sound a bit anticlimactic, but I got an email. Um, <laughs> Well, because I'd been doing, I'd done some short stories for the From a Certain Point of View anthologies, and I'd also done an IDW um, Star Wars Adventures comic backup. Yes. Um, and I had worked on a uh, Stranger Things novel, Darkness on the Edge of Town, which is actually the same editorial team as as the Star Wars team at Delray. Ah. So I'd always, I'd worked with them before, and I, you know, I always wanted to do Star Wars um, in a more kind of full-length thing than just the short stories. Um, I was working on, well, I guess originally they invited me to do a Mandalorian novel, which I was working on, which we had to let go. But then the kind of, the email was like, well, you know, bad news is we're going to get let the Mandalorian go. On the other hand, there's another book which you might be interested in, um, and it was yeah, it was Shadow of the Sith, or or it wasn't even that. It was just, well, you know that story that Lando tells Ray in The Rise of Skywalker, where he and Luke went off searching for, uh, you know, Ochi of Bestoon, looking for a wayfinder. It's like, you, why don't you tell that story? 
Um, and that was it. That is awesome. And they, yeah, they just said, this is the story, like, here, go with it and yeah. tell it any way you want to and fill it in any way you want to, for the most part. Pretty much, yeah. Because um, I, you know, my first thought was, my goodness, that's the other book. Like, seriously? I, you know, <laughs> to, yeah, I'm sad the Mandalorian had to go away, but then it's like, this is the other book? Okay, cool. And yeah, I think this is the thing with Star Wars. It's like they only want authors um, with experience, and especially because I'd actually worked with them before on Stranger Things. So they knew what I could do um, and the kind of what I could produce for them. So they kind of had that confidence to just say, here's the idea, go for it. Excellent. So, you mean, not much is really known about that time period in the saga. And, you know, clearly you're a fan of the saga already. So, you know, what was it like for you to learn that you were going to get to write a key part of Luke's journey and that you'd also get to bring in other familiar faces from the sequel trilogy? Yeah, I mean, really amazing. As a fan, um, I couldn't quite believe it. But then I also knew, you know, I suddenly had this big job to do. Um, the opportunity to write two of the main saga characters, Luke and Lando, but not just any story. Like, this is an important kind of, um, I guess I call it like a, you know, pole moment in that middle period between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens. Mm -hmm. so what a huge opportunity to tell something to tell a story that we haven't seen before because you know there's been a couple of comics there's a, a book um but we haven't seen much in this period so it's gonna be really interesting i knew from the beginning to kind of see what luke was doing what lando was doing and how i could tie the original trilogy characters to sequel trilogy characters which again have been done a little bit but nothing at this kind of level right right and you know you mentioned lando and this novel is like really interesting because you get to present one of the most fun and beloved characters in the saga but it's also at an incredibly difficult time in his life so how did you approach writing for lando and finding that balance between the the sort of devil may care attitude and the heartbreak yeah i mean lando's been through so much um and this is the other exciting thing it's like we can take um, original trilogy characters and actually do something with them and I mean by, by do something I mean we can or I can change them in some way actually develop them which is rare because often mm. when you're doing sort of tie-in fiction you're kind of doing backstories and you're slotting in between other existing things but because this was this wide open uh, period in the in the saga timeline um, that was really cool so Lando yeah I mean one of my favorite characters and Although, you know, when we meet him in the book, um, you know, time has gone on. It's about 17 years or 16 years, I think, from um, the Battle of Endor. And it's six years since Lando lost his daughter. Uh, she was kidnapped and he spent all that time um, searching for her. But I thought, what would that do to a person like Lando? So, yeah, we know Lando as the... Uh, the playboy, the gambler, the businessman, scoundrel sometimes, <laughs> uh, but like a man with a plan, you know, he's got, the, he's got a smile and a charm and a confidence, and he kind of knows what he's doing, and he's in control, essentially. That's what that kind of personality is like. 
So suddenly it's out of control. He's lost his daughter. He can't find her. What does that do to someone like that? So it was important that it's still the lander that we love and that we recognize. You know, we meet him at first in the book. He's you know at a gambling table in a in right. a bar, not a cantina, like next level up from cantina, slightly more classy. <laughs> um, because he's having not been able to find his daughter, having spent all this time, um, he's fallen back into old habits because you know the gaming table is where he has control. And it's very easy when you have such a kind of tip your life upside down trauma that he can go back to the old familiar habits. But he knows, because he's Lando and he's smart, he knows what's happening to him and he knows that this is a distraction and that, you know, he's not cheating anyone except himself by losing himself in a situation like that. Which is why when we come to Shadow of the Sith and you know, he overhears the plan about the kidnapping and the Sith. That really galvanizes him because he's been searching for that um, fire within him to search for his daughter, to kind of redouble his efforts, to get out there, go back into the galaxy, you know, make some progress. Um, he's aware that he's drifted away from that path, but now with this new quest, he's like, okay, this is it. I can do something. I can get back out there. I can kind of reset myself because, you know, this is Lando Calrissian. This is the man with the plan. Right. Um, and he's the character that we he's still the character we love from the original trilogy uh, he's different, he's older and he's obviously affected by what's happened to him um, but it's quite good you know, he, you know, Luke being kind of an old it's like they're not best friends but they're kind of they've got a 20 year relationship regardless mm -hmm. of how far apart or close together they, they were and I suspect they kind of bounced off each other periodically um, in sort of stories that we don't see. But yeah, I mean, he was a real, Lando was a really cool character to write. And yeah, the, the strength I found in him because he's Lando. And that, that sounds silly, he's Lando. But, <laughs> but, but that, I mean, how many other characters can you say that about? Yeah. I mean, maybe Han Solo too, and right. Leia also, I guess. But <laughs> So yeah, so Lando is Lando and, that's, and that is how he deals with the situation. And I think he kind of comes out of it, hopefully in a better place. Yes, absolutely. And um, we're gonna keep this conversation spoiler free because it is gonna come out prior to the release of the novel, which is next week from when we're recording this. So yeah. that's awesome too. <laughs> it's, it's really incredible. <laughs> um, I wanna turn you to The Rise of Skywalker since we talked about you know, not knowing a lot about that time period in between, you know, the movies of the sequel trilogy and, you know, you getting to see the rise of Skywalker and you know, not knowing a lot of what happened during that time period yourself at that moment, I think, I mean, depending on when they offered this to you, but like, do you recall your initial reaction seeing the rise of Skywalker and in particular seeing Ray's parents ever so briefly on the screen? Yeah, The Rise of Skywalker, I mean, you know, I'm a Star Wars fan with every Star Wars movie. You go and see it four or five or six or, <laughs> yes. times, or eight times. Um, the two things that I still remember for that very first viewing was firstly the scene of Lando telling Ray about him and Luke going off on an adventure. Mm. Because I my, my reaction to that was, what do you mean it's Lando and Luke? Like that is an odd pairing for this kind of mission. 
So that was my first reaction to that. You and actually then, remember like having yeah. that reaction? That's amazing. I kind of, because I was with my wife, I kind of like looked sideways. It was all dark in the theater. I kind of looked sideways at her. I'm like, Luke and Lando, are you kidding me? Which, <laughs> but, but not in a bad way, because I thought, well, that would be a really interesting story because Luke and Lando are quite different people and they're not their friends, but they're not best friends. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, that's a kind of interesting little wrinkle. And then you mentioned like the flashbacks of uh, Ray's parents. You know, we see them for like five seconds. Um, but again, I remember it very well because Jodie Comer, who plays Ray's mother, is like one of my favorite actresses. Um, she is amazing. And, yeah, she's in a series called Killing Eve, which um, amazingly, there's a gif from Killing Eve of every kind of reaction you could think of so on twitter i tend to troll people by posting gifts from killing eve but when <laughs> i saw her on screen it's like oh my goodness it's jodie coma um so i was kind of enthralled because like i love jodie coma and there she is and she's in star wars and not just in star wars she's ray's mother and again it's this kind of classic star wars tradition of really important characters or really interesting characters only being on screen for a couple of seconds yeah you know, it goes right back to my favorite when i was growing up as a child my favorite scene ever was the bounty hunters in empire strikes back because amazing costumes and designs and creatures and droids but you see them for 10 seconds <laughs> and then yes. that's it. you know um so when i was playing with the action figures i think this is part of the, my kind of creativity um my kind of creative learning as I was growing up. It's like I would play with the, the bounty hunter action figures because I could create their stories in my head when I was playing because we didn't see it on screen. Ah. So in a way, this is the same kind of thing. It's like we've got Dathan and Miramir, Ray's mother and father, that we see for five seconds in The Rise of Skywalker. And there's like two lines of dialogue. But that's kind of fascinating because now, although they already exist technically because we see them on screen, mm-hmm. I get to create the characters in the book um which is really kind of cool very cool yeah and beautifully drawn and well done and also heartbreaking and this is not (laughs) this is not this is not a spoiler in the sense that we know that these characters die and at star wars celebration anaheim at um one of the panels that you were at there you discuss writing about the death of ray's parents so this is already out there but you actually mentioned at celebration that it was difficult for you to write about the death of ray's parents and i think you mentioned that you had multiple tries at it before you finally got to a place where you were well i happy with it seems the yeah. wrong word but but where you were content with it i guess can you you talk a little bit more about the challenge of that for you yeah so that was the last scene that i wrote and i think i kept it for the end i mean i tend to write my books in order because it's easy mm-hmm. but i kept <laughs> that i kept that to the side because i knew i had to get this at some point but i didn't really know what to do with it because you know and it's not a spoiler but during the book most of the point of view of Dathan and Miramir's scenes are told from Dathan's point of view. Um, so it's like, well, what do I do? So I did, I think maybe four or five versions. I had Dathan's point of view, I had Miramir's point of view, I had Ochi's point of view, like which version of that would work. Um, but I left it to the end because I knew it was gonna be difficult. I mean, difficult emotionally, because it's like, it's well, you know, I've just written this book with these characters and I had to kill them. I, you know, that's choice is not mine. Um, but I thought that was interesting because like you know as characters in the book they don't know what's going to happen now we know what's going to happen because we've seen the movie but they don't know that so everything they're doing 
um, you know, we don't know what's going to happen in our lives. They don't know what's going to happen. So they're really doing their best for Ray to save her and get away from this menace. And I, although it was obviously going to happen, that scene where they are killed by Ochi, I wanted to avoid this kind of inevitability because you think, well, what's the point of telling the story because we know they're going to die. So, you know, it's all boring. So I kind of tried to not play with the reader, but sort of, maybe I did play with the reader, but like surprise the reader. Mm-hmm. You know, they talk, Dathan and Miramir in the book, they talk about how, well, you know, they've got to make, all they've got to do is make one mistake and it's over. So they've got plans and schemes and adventures across the galaxy. And then I think when that moment comes, uh, you know, when they meet the they, they they meet the scene from Rise of Skywalker, it's sort of like, yeah, that's a mistake. They made a mistake, it's over. Mm-hmm. And it kind of, it surprises them. And I, I hope it surprises the reader because, you know, that kind of grinding inevitability of they're going to die, they're going to die, they're going to die would make for a bit of a dull sort of narrative so right. i really wanted to avoid that and i think yeah they it's almost like when i did that scene i was kind of surprised myself it's like oh it's is it into the road that's great to be able to surprise yourself a little bit to be able to find that for yourself as you're writing it yeah and it's the whole thing of like nobody it's a, okay it's a prequel novel you could say it's a prequel for everybody everything you're like well, right. this, is, this is star wars <laughs> everything is a prequel to something um but yeah, like if they don't know what's going to happen, then I don't want the reader to know what's going to happen, even though we know the scenes from The Rise of Skywalker. Like that is not, those scenes are almost not the point. The point right. is the kind of the journey, which is, you know, easy to say afterwards, but you know. <laughs> but I think that's a, a really key point and you know, what you talk about with this, because this is also something that's been up for discussion with the Obi-Wan Kenobi series recently. The fact that we know that, Obi-Wan and Anakin slash Vader all survive the events of this series because of course it's a new hope and so the if you approach it like that then you kind of come from the mindset of well what's the point in this story like why are we bothering we know that they're going to survive but as you say like they don't know that they're going to survive and so it's about you putting yourself in the character's place and experiencing it with them rather than sitting outside of the canon and looking at the timeline and going, oh, we know they're going to survive. Who cares? Yeah. And in fact, Obi-Wan Kenobi is a great example because, you know, that is the best, some of the best Kenobi and Leia and Vader stuff we've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And every episode when we opened up Disney Plus was a surprise. Like every episode is a surprise. Mm-hmm. But yeah, looking at it from the out from the outside point of view, well, we know they're going to survive because there's a new hope, you know. But that is the perfect example of how you can tell uh, an original, inspiring, interesting story uh, with characters set between between something else. All right, we're going to stop the conversation right there and pick up the rest of it on tomorrow's episode of the podcast. So for now, it just remains for me to say thank you so much for joining me for this episode, as always, and may the force be with you wherever in the world you may be. Star Wars 7x7 is a production of Star Wars 7x7.
is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox, and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited, other respective trademark and copyright holders may the force be with them. All original content is copyright 2021 by Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it.